We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. James O'Reilly, can't wait to watch the show tonight. Coach, we all know your feelings about Cole Mullins being very underrated. Same with Benjamin Morrison. I was wondering, did you have an underrated player from the 23 class? So, like, a guy that I just was like, this is like, this guy's going to be good, and, I, and, and you know, I don't care what anybody says, he's going to be special. Uh, well, I mean, I guess one you could kind of point to, Vince, is Kenny Minchie. I just... He wasn't ranked super high, and I sure. thought he was a top hundred guy. I flat out thought he was a top hundred guy. I'm 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 pound on the table for Kenny Minchie to be a top hundred player. So he he would probably be my one from twenty three. Some of the other guys that I thought were very underrated were rated high at some point. Like Drake okay. Bowen and Jaden Osbury were both top hundred guys when they committed to Notre Dame. Like they were borderline five stars when they committed, and then of course now that they're committed to Notre Dame, they fall down the rankings and blah 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 blah. Right. So, but they weren't. They weren't – that was different. Yeah. Benjamin Morrison was never ranked very high. Cole Mullins is never ranked very high. So, uh, But even Kenny Minchie, Vince, to a degree, is like – I don't know if that's a good one either because there was a couple people that had Kenny Minchie very high. I mean, SI All-American had him ranked in the top 100, but that was because of me uh, primarily. I mean, I pushed for that. John Garcia agreed with me, but I pushed for that. But he was a consensus top 250 guy. So I don't know if I can use him either after senior year because of what he did at the – the. Um, Elite 11 in his junior season. So I'm looking at that, man. I just – I don't know if there was a lot of guys like that that just – man, I know this guy's going to be a dude because they were – you know, Jeremiah Love was ranked high. Braylon was ranked high. Sure. Jaden Greathouse was ranked high. Um, maybe Sam Pendleton. That might be one. That might be one. I, I would like to say Joe Odding, but I, I can't say him because he needs to fill out, and I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Whereas that's not a concern for me for Cole Mullins and Benjamin Morrison. Like yeah. that, that's not a big issue. So Joe Wadding, Sam Pendleton, maybe, and maybe a guy like that. Those are the ones that I'd probably say for 23. But yeah, I, I didn't really have a guy like that because most of the guys that I love, like everybody knows I loved Jaden Osbury in that class. But when he committed to Notre Dame, he was like five-star by one of the services and was like a consensus top 100 guy. So, you know, you, you got to be an idiot not to see that he's a top 100 guy. You know, or or biased because he committed Notre Dame now, and so let's drop him. 
uh, out of the top 100. So good, good question. Good question. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is more of a comment from Patrick King, so we'll just read his comment, and you can give your thoughts if you want, or we can just move on. But uh, Patrick's sure. big fan Sounds of Anthony Knapp. Yeah, uh, as a black horse, I like Antoine Knapp. Will be 6'5", 290. Has Anthony. Attitude. Oh, I got It's you. just spelled differently. I knew I, why, because Antoine I, looks like that at the yes, end. Yes, it I'm does. You. I read it quickly. <laughs> All good, buddy. Uh, will be 6'5", 290. Has, an, has a bad attitude in a good way. Stone hands, watch the film, and great feet. I see why Rudolph backed him right guard. I don't see him as 6'5". Um, we have seen him up close. Ryan, is, I just don't think he's 6'5". I don't know that he has the length that people said. I do think he has good feet. I do think he has very strong hands. And, and I do think he plays with a good demeanor, which is the bad attitude part that he's talking about. I'll say this, Patrick. I hope you're right, and I hope Drew Rudolph is right. I do. I don't see it yet in him. Uh, but I hope you guys are right. Definitely. That's that's one of those ones we're going to learn about Joe Rudolph as an evaluator. If Anthony Knapp is what Patrick and Joe Rudolph think he's going to be, they'll say, okay, Joe Rudolph knows his stuff. He does. Guns and Buns says, the odds of the starting O-line is the same at the end of the season. Ooh. Well, barring injury. Barring injury, I think. Is yeah, the, yeah, I would sure. say, I'd probably say there's a 60% chance of that. Right now, that, that would be where I'm at. So, so better than 50 50. Mm-hmm. I don't, so I'm not guaranteeing that there's going to be a change. I'm not guaranteeing that there's going to be a, a guy beat somebody out, Vince. So, 60 yeah. 60% is probably 60 40, <sighs> I would say, right now. Yeah. And, and it also depends on who, who wins the starting job, right? Because, right. you know, if, if let's say Rocco wins the starting job in the fall, there's still a danger because what if he doesn't play as well in games as he doesn't practice? Right. Right. Like, you know, so there, there's that kind of thing. Right. So even if the guy that you consider is, because I think when we all think of this, we all think Kristoffic starts and then eventually Rocco takes over. Right. That so was what if Rocco starts and he's inconsistent and doesn't play well. And then all of a sudden, you know, then you put Andrew in steps guy. in. So yeah. I, yeah. I still, either way, I still view it as a, a situation where I'm not, I'm not certain that the guy that starts the season at, at, uh, at guard is going to stay there. That's fair. I'll be I hope it does. That. Yeah, I hope there's that consistency. I mean, the thing you want is consistency, right? right? I mean, you want you or continuity, I should say. That's a better word for this. I, I want continuity. I would love for the starting five to be the starting five at the end of the year. Uh, yeah. But I, I understand your uncertainty when it comes to the right guard spot for multiple reasons. So, yeah, I, I think 60-40 is a good spot to put it at. 
Right. This is a long another guard question here, Vince. From the I love this name, Indie Football Nerd. That's a Ooh. cool name. Like that's a fun name. So I was trying to look at his avatar, but uh, anyway, is that is that it's from the old, it looks like the 05 game is what it looks like. Okay. The 05 game against USC or the 06 game against Army. Those are the two green green uh, jersey that. games they had when Brady was there. So mailbag question of your current projection of who the starting guards will be in 23. Who has more power, the starting tackles or the starting guards? So this is basically if Rocco and Billy are guards, what's the more powerful duo? Him and him, Billy and Rocco or Blake and Joe Alt? I would say the guards. Because I, I don't know that Blake's as powerful as he was when he was 330. You know, and he, he right. didn't show it last year. Anyway, we showed some power, but not not the kind. And then Joe... Joe's not a power player. Joe is more physical than people think, but I wouldn't call him a but power he's a finesse player. type player. Yeah. I don't even know that I'd say that. No? I just don't know that he's a power guy. I think okay. he's more I think he's more Liam Eikenberg than he is Mike McGlinchey. Okay. Like Mike Liam Eikenberg wasn't a like he was blowing people up like 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 McGlinchey was. Like to me, Ronnie Stanley was a finesse player. Uh, I don't think that uh, Liam Eikenberg was a finesse player, even though he wasn't a mover. He wasn't a, like a just a butt kicker. He just he did his job, and and yeah. and he you know. So I understand where you're coming from from an end result standpoint. I just think he's a little bit more physical than that. But I don't know if he's like all everybody at their best. Like is okay. It's like this: if if they're all at their best, who's the most physical? It's the guards, right? Who has the most power of the individual players? Yeah, just like of the raw five, strength, power of the five. Who would oh. you say uh, if they, if they're all reached their full potential? Who would you yep. say is the most powerful? Rocco. I'd say it's if they're all reached their full. I'd say Blake. Okay, but then my number two and my number three are the two guards. Okay, I'd actually put Billy second and Rocco third. You could make a case for Rocco second, but Blake's not the build he was before but let's say blake comes out and he's 320 this offseason right but at 310 he's not even number one he's probably number two or three and then i probably put joe at the bottom but again it's still he's good it's just i think those other two kids are more powerful so I, i'd say the guards okay that's a good question i would say the that's guards a fun way to look yeah. at it yeah this is funny we needed a funny one today and this is a from, funny one from dt roll d troll hunter. hunter yeah i say this wrong every time by the way uh, which O-line player would make the best cannonball splash? Well, you got to go with the width, right? So it's got to be. It's it's more like the circumference, right? I mean, yeah, isn't that right. kind of what you're looking like, for? Yeah. So, so and, and then rocking, overall right? weight. Yeah. I'd probably have to say Charles Jagasol right now. Oh. Probably he's 320. Him or Rocco. Maybe yeah. Rocco. One of those two guys. Because Rocco's a little bit more compact. Yeah. Wide. Like he's going to make the biggest impact, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, th- I think so. I think we agree on that one. We agree on that one. Here we go. Tyler Evans with the super chat. Thanks so much, Tyler. Really appreciate it. Just got on. I don't know if you guys talked about this, but can I get your take on Northwestern? Yeah. Tyler, I, I don't want to dive back into it. I appreciate the super chat. We we talked about it. It was like two questions ago. Um, basically, we held our we held our opinions until we had more specifics of even when we got the two week suspension. I didn't say anything because I was like, okay, is this a two week suspension that's because of PC culture. You have to do it just to right. slap on the wrist. Cause you can't not do anything. And so whatever, you don't have him. guy making 5.7 millions goes two weeks in the offseason without pay. No big deal, whatever. Right. So, you know, because he, you know, some kid who has long hair and thought that that is his identity had to have his hair head shaved, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. Like, you know, don't do it again, you know, and, or, you know, move on. 
or was it something more extreme, like some stuff we heard about that went on at Penn State, you know, in, in recent years and things like that? And that's the other thing is like some of the stuff that you heard about that happened at Penn State, like under James Franklin, not even under – I'm not talking about stuff that happened with Sandusky and Joe Turner. I'm talking about stuff that we've heard has happened at Penn State. James Franklin got to keep his job. So I'm curious if like things like that get rein, reinvest investigated or not. But, you know, to me, when we heard what we heard, it was like, yeah, he needed to be fired. Yeah, exactly. There's no, he has no control over his program, no matter what the truth Which, of is he knew right. or didn't like him, him knowing to me, when you heard about what happened and then the time frame, the length at which it happened over right. multiple seasons, he either needed to be fired because he didn't have control of his program or he needed to be fired because he knew and didn't do anything to stop it. Either Correct. Way. You lose. You, the end result is the same. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So I, did, I just wanted to answer that just because, you know, as brief as possible. You want to, if you want to get further into it and sort of my rant about it, you can go back and listen to what, <laughs> what we talked about before. Number one ND fan, can this line win the Joe Moore Award? In short, yes. They're certainly capable of it. Right. Am I predicting it right now? In my bold prediction, yes. And just a normal, okay, if I'm doing like my season predictions of the entire college football landscape, is is are, is Notre Dame going to be the team that I predict to win the Joe Moore Award? Probably not. I'm, I'm probably looking like Georgia. I mean, Michigan, hey, you know, the, you're the champs till somebody beat you, right? right? They got a pretty good team coming back. And, you know, so you, you look at teams like that and maybe Bama this year with, with uh, you know, year two of their new coach and some talented young players. You know, so th- there's some there's some people there, uh, but um, do they have a shot to win it? Absolutely. Now, bold prediction wise, where we're having a little bit of fun, yeah. Then then you get into events where you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going with Notre Dame, baby. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They could definitely definitely be a finalist, and yeah. you know, winning it is another level, obviously. Yeah. But you know, that'll be fun to watch. Yep. All right, here's a super chat from Raymond Harden. Woo, Raymond, thank you very much for the super chat. I hope A. Carter can be a dude for us this year. Where do you see Micah Bell fitting in with his speed? What kind of size does he have? Thank you, guys. I think he's about 5'10", 5'10 and a half is what he kind of looks. But uh, to me, early on, I think nickel is where I really like Micah Bell, where he can just run, like a Tariq Bracey type of guy. But as his career goes on, I think more of like that field corner position, just somewhere where he can open up and run because that kid is fast. But the other place I'd love to see him fit in, Vince, is his kick returner. Mm. Like I'd love to yeah. see that speed returner kicks. Kick returner is such a great spot for young guys just to unleash their speed, and it's an, and it's mm-hmm. a great opportunity for them to get on the field. Um, I, I think that's a that's a great spot for him. And there's. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of candidates, in my opinion, for punt return and kick return. Yeah, I mean, Jadarian Price, Jeremiah right. Love. And none J- of them have know, to be starters. Right. You Rico know what I mean? Flores, Jaden Greathouse, yeah, Christian Gray. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of those guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah, you can be dynamic back there by not putting starters back yeah. there. Absolutely. Yeah. And and then, of course, a guy that already has a touchdown under his career, Chris Tyree, you know, of that course. kind of guy, too. So yeah. there's a lot of options. Yeah. A lot of options. Yeah. I'm hoping Chris Tyree is – being used too much on the offensive side to be on the kick return team. Agree, because you and I agreed on this last year. If Chris Tyree becomes the guy on offense, then you take him off a kick return. Right. And I say the same thing this year. If he's going to be playing 30-some snaps a game, I'd say just take him off kick return. Because it's not like he's the only option back there. And you don't even get a lot of chances. It's like just wasted prep. Go get him on the jug. Like I would have Chris Tyree down on the jugs machine during every special teams period. Just catching balls. Yep, that's it. 
just catching that's balls. it and, and i'd be doing like just the different things to work on absolutely. you know like i'd be having him down there doing low ball catching drills you know things like that i would absolutely would not so it, and it's yeah. not that he can't return kicks anymore it's just that i need to get you mastered right. i need to get you to master this stuff and look a worst case scenario something happens to somebody or multiple somebodies and he has to go in there and return a kick guess what he could do it without a whole lot of practice i mean that's you know he's good at it right Justin Knox, if we have a Joe Moore quality offensive line, why do we care about any uh why do we care about any defensive line? I mean any defensive line. That includes getting Audric putting you on your butt. Well, they won the Joe Moore award in 2017 and got beat by Georgia. Couldn't run for 100 yards, couldn't run the football. So that's why. I mean, the Joe Moore award doesn't go to the team that had a perfect game all 12 weeks, right? It's it's you know, hey, we were dominant. We had this one bad game or that bad game, which everybody has. But, you know, it's just the overall dominance over the course of the year. They can do that and, and just not match up well against Ohio State and not play right. well. Well, guess what? That could be the difference between you being a playoff team or not. Right. And so it, it matters because you've got to also know here's who our best opponents are and who we're really making sure we're on top of our game for. Like, I, I've never been someone that felt like, it was smart to to overlook opponents, like to convince yourself that everybody you played sucked. I, I think it's unwise. I, I don't think that makes a lot of sense at all. Or I'm not worried about anybody because we're so-and-so. Well, right. I, I mean, Notre Dame in 88 didn't fear Miami, but you sure as heck respected who Miami was, which is why they knew they had to bring it, you know, and, and the, the way that they did. So I think that's why you should care about any defensive line. And, and who your matchup is, because that's going to be the battle, especially the Ohio State line, because they whooped your butt last year. I mean, that, right. that that's that's going to tell me where your pride is as a unit, right? I mean, you can just out-talent your first four opponents. But if you don't go out there and, and, and just play your absolute butt off against Ohio State, then that tells me maybe you don't have the – the, the, the internals that I hope that you had, right? That was the issue that I had with Ohio State last year against Michigan. Like, how do you get beat by Michigan? Let their team and their coach and their fans talk trash about you for a year and pretend like they didn't duck you the year before and use, right. you know, COVID as the reason they didn't want to play. No, they didn't want to get murdered by 70 points. That's why they didn't play Ohio State the year before, right? If we're being real about it. But it just comes down to you did not play like a team that had a chip on your shoulder. You play like a team going through the motions. Like, where's your heart? Where's your soul? Like, where's your, where's your, your, your pride, Mm -hmm. you know? And so if Notre Dame's offensive line doesn't have a, we got something for you. We got something for you this Mm -hmm. year. Then that's going to make me question if, if their leadership and if their offensive line coach is really, you know, because again, Vince, you don't want them to get so amped up that they then, they don't play well that way. But it's that way the, the good coaches can kind of find a way to get that. Hey, you know what? Like this is that just these this is why they beat your butt last year. Well, you right. want to act like that? You want to, this is why they beat your butt last year. You know what I mean? Like challenge them a little bit. Like, okay, I'm just sick of coach talking about how they kicked. That's like, uh, what was it? Lou Holtz. Remember that? It was a 93 where they played the, they played the tomahawk chalk the whole tomahawk chop the whole time. I know they talked about this in 2014 as well, where they were so sick of that tomahawk chop that when they heard it in the game, it's like it pissed them off and they wanted to go. And that's why they, a, a Notre Dame <laughs> team took the defending national champs down to the wire the way that they did because they had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder you know what i mean and it's like football is a is psychological man i mean if you if you're a coach and you can't get in your kids heads and know how to properly motivate them and focus them and bring them all together 
then you're not going to be a great coach. You may have great scheme and you may know football really well, but that's the difference to me, Vince, between the great coaches and the not great coaches is not, I know a mess of football, but can you can mentally you get the best out of your yes, kids at, at, at 100%. tough times? hundred percent. Yeah. That's what make Mike makes Mike Elko so good. It's not just, I mean, Mike Elko is not successful as a D coordinator at Wake and Notre Dame and other places. And now turning a what three and nine Duke team into a nine win team. Because scheme-wise, he's the smartest guy in the room. Now, look, he's pretty smart, but it's, he knows how to get the most out of his players. He knows how to bring a team or a unit together and, and get them all going towards a single purpose. Right. And know how to get them you know, fired up in, in different levels for different games. That's what makes the, the best coaches, in my opinion. So, yeah. Here we go. Joseph DeJager. What about Charles Jagasaw? Maybe midseason? Maybe. I mean, maybe I, I, if he's good enough, put him in there. I don't care if it's guard, tackle, whatever. Right. If he's ready to play, ready just to depends. play. Yeah, I, I just I think it's going to be tough because the guys in front of him are really good. Like some, there was a question down here from Timeout Tom. He said, "While Jagasaw is an exceptional talent, to expect him to play as a freshman is unrealistic, unless because of injury. I, I could almost guarantee a redshirt in his freshman year. I don't know why you would make that uh, comment, Tom, because just look at Notre Dame's recent history. Yeah." I mean, you had More Steve so Elmer. now, you could make that comment five to ten years ago. Not even. I mean, I get what you're saying, Vince, but like 2017, Robert Haynes, he didn't play because they needed him to or because of right. an injury. He, he just was that good. He was ready yeah. to play. Uh, you look at Joe Walt, you know, last year, or I mean, excuse me, not Joe Walt, but Blake Fisher in 2021. He didn't start as a true freshman because of injury. He started because he was the best guy at the position. Sure. Now it's a little harder for a true freshman to do that now, to your point. But like 2017, we talked about. 2000 and, um, uh, 2013, Steve Elmer started several games. But even though Steve didn't start until an injury or in poor play, he was playing early in the year. He was in the rotation early in the year. Uh, so we've seen this before. This is not new at Notre Dame a freshman coming in and playing on the offensive line because of an, not because of an injury. So am I predicting Charles will play? No. I mean, there's some good players ahead of him, but to say it's unrealistic, I think is going too far in the opposite direction. If that makes sense. Like sure. just saying, Oh, he's going to come in and start as a freshman. That's uh, <laughs> a little bit of a slap in the face. Of the guy's already there. Now look, well, he's the, yeah. the highly ranked guy and all that, but the, these guys are pretty flipping good too, you know what I mean? But then this this comment to me is is sort of the the the, the extreme to the opposite end, if that sure. makes sense, Vince. I think right? a lot of things have to come into play for a true freshman offensive lineman to play, sure. right? Obviously, you have to be very very talented. That goes without saying. But right. it, it's also what does the depth chart look like? Is there an opening to get onto the field? Or are you just so freaking right. good that you just right. bypass everything? Or so advanced technically with like right. Robert Hainsey, right. right? I mean, he was so advanced right. technically that he was ready to play as a freshman. Sure. Uh, with Steve Elmer, he just was that good as a yeah. freshman compared to other guys. So uh, I'm not predicting it, Tom. And, and your actual conclusion may end up being correct. Sure. But I think the 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 no-brainer nature of the comment is really where I would somewhat disagree with you a little bit. Now, I always... I always want redshirt freshman uh, offensive lineman to redshirt Vince, but for me, I don't see, think there's a reason to redshirt Charles Jagasaw. If he's who you think he is, he's not a five-year player. Sure. So, so even if it means hey, he's a starter on our, on our tackle position on PAT field goal. Some people may look at that and say, "Why are you wasting year eligibility on Charles Jagasaw? Because he's not going to be here for five years." Because anyway. if Charles Jagasaw is yeah. the player we think he's going to be, he's not a five-year player. Right. 
right? Quentin Nelson wasn't a five-year player. Ronnie Stanley wasn't a five-year player. Liam Eikenberg was, but he didn't have this kind of God-given ability. Mike McGlinchey was because he was really raw, right? But most great linemen were not five-year guys, right? Robert Hainsey was a four-year guy. I don't know that Robert Hainsey would have come back in 2021 if he had a fifth year because he was ready, you know? So if Charles Jagasaw is who we think he's going to be, he's not a five-year guy. And so play him and then put him in because – and again, it doesn't necessarily prepare him to start, but like he's going to get a lot of on the field and big moments, getting a chance to play kind of situation. And then maybe by end of the year, if you do have, let's say he, you do have to throw him into the game against USC. What maybe his first significant O-line moments, but he had to pass block, you know, for that game winning field goal against Ohio state. He's been in right. that clutch moment. Where I got to go do my job. So the we lights can go aren't going to be too game. bright. Yeah, Bingo. exactly. Yeah. Bingo. And that's where special teams for and not and I'm expounding a little bit here, but like that's where special teams can be so effective for young guys. Can be so effective because you can get them on the field. It's limited reps, but you're getting them on the field in big moments in front of the crowd, under the lights, you know, whatever the cliche you want to use. But it gets them on the field. That I've always looked at special teams as an opportunity. If you earn your spot, not we're not just going to put all young guys out there to put all young guys out there. If you earn a spot on that special team, it can really pay dividends in the future when you need them on offense or defense. Yeah, I agree. Really good questions today. And again, Tom, I understand where you're coming from. This is not a – I don't think you're like, oh, this is stupid. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just (laughs) saying um, I understand why you would say that because of the nature of the position. And then also, you know, Charles had the offseason injury. And, I mean, there's – I mean, so I get where he's coming from. I just – I think it's too extreme to just guarantee – yeah, that he's not going to play. I, I, I think that undersells Charles's talent. Just like just guaranteeing he's oh he's going to come in and no problem be to be. I think undersells the guys that you just assume he's going to beat out ability. So I think I think those are two extremes. I I don't expect them to come in and start right away. I hope he plays. I would get him in as much as I could to be honest with you. And then because to your point, Vince, if you're in a situation next year where four starters are gone because you were yep. so good in 23. Do you really want Charles Jagasaw to be going down uh, to Allen, you know, down to uh, Kyle Allen Stadium against A right. and M, and that's the no, first time he's ever played a meaningful snap in his no life? Snaps. Yeah, exactly. You know, if if you if you have a choice, I would say I'd rather not do that. Yeah, Andre uh, with a with a mailbag question: Notre Dame needs nutritional table for all athletes. This will help them realize their potential fitness level and goals. They have training table they have it to a degree i I think my issue has always been it needs to be a lot better but they do have it they do have a nutritional table now uh it's just not to the degree that i think it needs to be and and i think there's a lot of assumptions based on things that brian kelly has said and the fact that they were late getting this that there's this assumption that notre dame doesn't have a nutrition table or nutrition plan they they do it just needs to be upgraded and significantly in my opinion vince and i think they need to one of the renovations to the Goog needs to be where all your meals can be prepared there. Sure, sure. Right, that's a part of it as well. Right, because they have a nutritionist on staff. They've got, you know, all of that. They, they eat at the Goog. They do all that. It's more of a pain in the neck for the people preparing the meals to prepare it off-site, bring it over, set it up, you know, set the tables up, take the tables down. Like, that's the bigger issue, right? Because they just don't have a specific place to do all of that within that building so that does exist they eat their meals there they're, they're you know the football players aren't going to the dining hall you know that it used to be that way 
It's not that way anymore. Well, actually, I think they they have to for some meals. That not because the one thing I've been told is not all their meals are prepared at Notre Dame. I think it's like only one, sometimes two. Okay. Uh, and that's part of it. And that because it's hard to three times a day sure ship a you know across campus a meal. So yeah, that, yeah. So I, I I do think there's room for improvement, Andre. And and the same thing with like the nutrition aspect with supplements. Uh, from my understanding, talking to different people, is Notre Dame's a little behind in some of that stuff of what they're allowed to do and or not allowed gotcha. to do, like what they have the resources to do. So there's some things where it's definitely better than it was, but it's not where it needs to be. I, that's still the constant complaint that I hear is like kids will get that meal at Notre Dame, but then they still are eating dinner at their at their house. And this is as recently as a couple of years ago. Sure. You know, so uh, certainly something, that, especially during the off season. During the season, it's a little better, Vince. During the off season is when it becomes more of a problem. Because gotcha. during the season, I think they're eating after dinner, after practice, and stuff like that. Right. Because uh, that was that was always like the the, the knock it was like players were hustling out of practice to get to the dining right. hall before it closed. Like I don't right. think that's the problem anymore. No, I don't, I don't see that yeah. being not not in season, but in the off right. season it is because they're not getting yeah. as much from my from what I'm told. Now I could be wrong on that. Somebody sure. can correct me if I'm wrong, but I still believe it's just not still not to the degree that it needs to be. Guns and buns. Does Hartman's experience have a bigger impact on the offensive line, or does the offensive line have a bigger impact on Hartman? Chicken to the egg, Brian. Uh, I think the O line is going to have a bigger impact on Hartman. I, I just I don't know that Sam Hartman's going to necessarily do anything that's going to necessarily make the O line better. I think you could argue if the if the answer was if you replace O line with run game then I think you could say Sam Hartman will have a bigger impact on the run game. You could at least make that case. But either way, I'm still going with, I would probably still go with the run game, or in this case, the O-line, because you know who Sam Hartman is, and he's going to give it protection. Right. But I, I would say that I think there's the, there's a there's an expectation on my end that Sam Hartman's going to be a more efficient player than he was at Wake Forest, and he needs to be. Now, if all we get it of Sam Hartman this year is the same exact dude he was the last two years, Notre Dame is really good. Yes. Really good. They're probably a 10 and 2, 11 and 1 team. Maybe even a run the table team. But if they're going to be a championship team, he needs to be better than what he was at Wake Forest, mm -hmm. especially the consistency. You know, you have this great game against Wake, against Clemson, but then you throw like two pick sixes against you know, Louisville. And you have a multi turnover, multiple turnover game, I think, against Duke and things like that, right? You can't have those. But that's again come when you're having to carry the team week after week after week because your run game stinks and your defense stinks, then you're going to have games like that. So I still believe that having that run game is going to take a lot of pressure off Sam Hartman and allow him to be a more efficient quarterback. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah no, so, I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think he's going to be able to up his game because of the offensive line. Right. If that's, I, I think I'm, right. I'm not repeating what you're saying, but, you know, I, I, I do think that that's the case. And I agree with you. He's going to have to play better, but he's going to be allowed to play better because of the offensive line. He's going to have more time. He's going to have more time. Yeah. He's going to be able to make decisions. He's not going to have to push the ball down the field blindly. And, you know, and, and the scheme is going to help too. I mean, look, it just is when he, when he's doing that slow mesh behind an offensive line, that's not as good as Notre Dame's. Sometimes he's just chucking the ball and that's where some of those right. turnovers, you know, happened. Right. And right. so, I think the offensive line is just going to uh, allow him to take his game to another level. Yeah, I agree.
All right, let's get to this one, Vince. This is another one from Andy Football Nerd. He says, is it possible for the 23 guard combo to be better than the 22 combo? Okay. Sure. That's a good one. Yeah. Vince, you want to take a crack at that and then I'll answer it and then you can. Yeah. I, I would say that I think there's a really good chance that they could be better. Um, I, well, maybe not really good because you're, you're talking about two guys this year that are going to have less experience than the two guys last year. So you're, you're talking veterans versus some, some new guys, right? Uh, but I think the ceilings are higher for these new guys than they were for that group. So if that makes sense, and I, I, and again, it depends on who the second guard is going to be this year. So that it's almost like two different questions, right? So if we're talking Billy Shrouth and Andrew Kristoffic, I would take the 22 group. If we're talking Billy Shrouth and Rocco Spindler, that means Rocco beat out Andrew. I'm going to take the 23 group. Does that make sense? Like that's because mm-hmm. I feel like the ceiling is higher for the 23 group for as opposed to the 22 group. Here, here's where I come on it, Vince, and this is the way that I that I look at this conversation. When I look at the 22 guards, like you said, I see veteran players. I see a level of consistency that they had. I see. You know, Jarrett Patterson was a leader. I think that, um, you know, Josh Lug was a, a pretty steady player last year. I see guys that did their job. And in that regard, I don't think that the 2023 offensive guards are going to have that level of consistency, you know, just the steadiness. I think we're going to see more up and down performances from that group. So if you're, if your standard for better is consistency, then then I think they're going to have a tough time with that, even with the veterans around them. Now, they'll be aided a little bit by having a veteran center and veteran tackles, which the guards didn't have last year. They were the ones bringing along the tackles and the guards. So that, there's that. That's a little bit of a, you know, narrows the gap a little bit in that, in that regard. But here's where it comes to for me uh, and, and why, in my opinion, I do think that I, I do think that we could have a conversation about them being better. Uh, and, and and that comes down to, I think the talent level and the power is significantly better potentially with the 2023 offensive guard position. Now uh, that means that, you know, even though you may have some games, you're like, man, you guys just too many mistakes there. It's a group where I could say, Hey man, boy, you just lined up behind that guy and he just blew a guy off the ball or man. He just, he was, you know, Rocco or Billy was on this game and he was dominant in a way that we never saw from Josh Lug after the injuries, a way we never saw from Jarrett Patterson uh, last season at guard or even really at center. I could see that. And so if your standard is who had the more dominant performances then I think the more dominant performances could come from this year's guards, especially if Rocco or Jagasaw or Ashton Craig takes those jobs. So if you want to talk about their high seat, their high play is better than this team, this group's high play. then sure. I think you could see the 23 guys being better, but I just think they're going to have a tough time with the consistency. So Vince, why you had to step out, basically that it was comes down to, do you define better by consistency if it's that, then it's 22 easily. Sure. Yep. If you define better as in just the, the moments of dominance, then I think we'll look at the 23 line as having more of that. Because yeah. Lug and Patterson were never dominant. They just did their job Correct. snap after snap, and there's something to that, as we talked about earlier. If if, if Rocco ends up being one of the – because I think if, if Christophic is the starter at right guard, he'll basically just be a carbon copy of Josh Lug. 
basically. Just go do your fair. job, man. Yeah. Go battle. Just do your job. Do what you got to do. I think that's fair. Uh, and then Billy, it's then it's Billy Stroud for Jarrett Patterson. Well, again, that's a that's a tough ask. That's a four year starter that right. he's stepping in for. But again, I think the the levels of top level play will be better, mm-hmm. and that's where I think you'll see better play. That's fair. Yeah, I like that. All right, Vince, we gotta we got we're gonna get to, I'm gonna get to a couple of these that we're gonna get to. We're not gonna have time to answer all of them. Okay. Uh, just because we're getting really long into the show. But I did want to get to a couple of these. <laughs> we're good Here, here's a good one here that I want to get to from Archer. From Archer, our Ohio State fan. When the Notre Dame game isn't on, what college football player or team are you looking forward to watching? Ooh. I mean, I try this to watch a good a one ton. for you because you watch like, a ton of football. Bi- I mean, you, you, know, you know my setup during bye weeks. Man. I, I get all my computers upstairs, and I have like three <laughs> three computers, and then I have the TV in the background. Right. right. I like, and I have like my laptop. I have like to my wife's laptop. If she's not working at this, if she's working up in her office, I'll take her laptop and then I'll have like, you know, and then I'll, then I'll do, I'll take a monitor and attach it to my, one of my laptops. So I can get another game on that. And then I have the TV on, uh, but it really comes down to what's the big game that week. That's the exactly. one. I really that was going to be my answer too. hundred percent. You know, but the yeah. other thing I'll do too, is I'll, I'll watch like if Notre Dame's not on, I'll watch sometimes an, an upcoming Notre Dame opponent. Right. So sure. like if, if, you know, we, we get out of the central Michigan game and, and we go home that night and I don't, I don't even know, you know, so USC's playing a night game. I'd probably watch USC play them sure. or Duke's playing a night game or Louisville's playing a night game or Ohio state's playing a night game. I'd probably watch that. Yeah. Unless it's like Bama LSU or Florida state Clemson or something like that. You know, that's, that's like, I can tell you this, the Saturday that Notre Dame t- travels to Stanford, if they have a night game, I know exactly what I'm doing at noon. I'm sitting down in front of my TV watching Ohio State, Michigan. That, that's just, absolutely like there's games like that that I'll that they'll always be the go to. Right. Uh, but otherwise, it's is there a big game that that's really interesting, or is a Notre Dame opponent playing? Those would be the ones that I look. It's at. the big game for me. So a lot of times when Notre Dame has an afternoon game, a two thirty three thirty kick, we're doing the post game show. I'll have my, you know, iPad up on mute watching whatever the big night game is that night, right? Just kind of in the background. Um, you know, when Notre Dame's not playing, I'll try to, like, if it's a 3.30 start, I'll try to watch the first half of the noon game because usually there's a big game at noon, right? I'll watch the first half of the noon game, then get in my car, you know, and head over to the stadium or whatever the case may be. So I, I, I'm all about the matchups, the big matchups. And a lot of times we talk about those matchups throughout the week. And so I want to see if I was right when we predict and, you know, those kinds of things. And so, um, you know, one of the things we do as a staff is we predict, you know, the big games of the week, right? I like to see if I'm going to be right, you know, if I if I predicted it right or, if you know, where we're at and all that kind of stuff. So I'm a big game watcher. There's no doubt. Like, I don't have another team that I follow or another player that I follow unless it happens to be a player that I coached, you know, something like that. I've had a couple sure. of those throughout the years that I've wanted to turn on the, the, the set and watch you know, those guys. Um, but yeah, wasn't it, wasn't that the case for, wasn't there a kid from Purdue that you either coached against or something like that? Uh, well, there was uh, Xander Horvath played at Purdue. Yeah. Didn't you coach against him or something like that? Yeah. He was, he went to, he went to my high school where I went to high school, but then coached against him. Uh, Danny Pinner, who now plays for the Colts. That's, 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 I, yeah, that's he was one. at ball state. Um, so obviously watched him. Shaq Van was a running back. He went to uh, Eastern Michigan. Uh, played at LSU, scored a touchdown to LSU Stadium. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, so things like that. You know, obviously, if my kid ever plays, I want to watch him wherever he's at and whatever he's right. doing. So, but yeah, Notre Dame's by far my by front and foremost. You know, but I'm I'm a big game watcher. I like the big games. Yeah. See what's going on. 
Here's an interesting one. So number one Notre Dame fan says LSU is a must watch. Unfortunately, got a root against BK. Okay, here's here's the scenario. <laughs> okay, here's the scenario. Because I, I get this from a lot of Notre Dame fans, and it's going to be similar to 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 Vince to kind of what you and I have had conversations about in the past about Michigan, right? Where you'll say I'll never root for Michigan, and uh, and I'll give you the scenario. But what if? Oh. Michigan winning is due to, it is, is going to have an impact on Notre Dame making the national championship or making the playoffs. So let's sure. say you're in a situation this year where LSU November 4th is playing at Alabama. Let's say LSU has already lost to Florida state already lost to Ole Miss and a couple weeks before got completely up, you know, got completely upset by Auburn, just hypothetically speaking. So they got three losses. They're three losses. They're out of the playoffs. They're out. Or they already have two losses, and we know they're going to lose to George in the in the SEC championship game. Bama's undefeated. They're ranked in the top four. Notre Dame is currently undefeated, playing in the top. But but no but all the so all the teams ahead of Notre Dame are undefeated. Bama plays LSU. Bama's ahead of Notre Dame. Who do you root for? Oh my God! I mean, obviously, no brainer. It's a no brainer. You root for LSU. Brian Kelly. I mean, it's a no brainer for me. It's exactly right because it it benefits it benefits me as a Notre Dame fan, but for LSU to win. But it's a but I know how hard that is for you. Same with Michigan. Painful root, man. It's a painful root. Like let's say that Michigan's a three loss team this year, and Ohio State, Notre Dame beats Ohio State, but for whatever reason, Ohio State's ranked ahead of Notre Dame, and if if Mich- if Ohio State beats Michigan, then they're probably going to get in the playoff over Notre Dame. Uh, you root for Michigan. Go that, blue. That, that, yeah. That's, <laughs> I can't believe those words just came out of your mouth. I know. <laughs> like, whoa. We're ending the show right now. The, the apocalypse is coming. The skies just got dark. I don't know what's happening. Uh, the the, I know, the right? seals have been broken. <laughs> Revelations is happening right now. Uh, Vince just yeah. said go blue. It would be I tough. I mean, and so I think the the bigger question would be, okay, I know, seriously, Archer, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. Uh, the bigger question would be, okay, at, taking Notre Dame out of the equation, okay? Notre Dame's out or they're already in. Let's say they're already in just so we yeah. can be happy about it, right? So now it's so, – for somehow the gods have made it so that Michigan is – facing LSU and the winner goes to the playoff. Who you root for? Yeah. Or it has nothing to do with or, Notre Dame. Here's a better one, Vince. It's a college football playoff. LSU and Michigan are oh, playing yeah. against each other. Notre Dame's playing in the other playoff game. on the other side. Yeah. Do you root for Brian Kelly? Because see in that situation I root for Brian Kelly. Because I know because he can whoop his butt because he's a mental coward. Then Brian then they can beat Michigan. <laughs> right? Right. Right. And then Notre Dame can play Brian Kelly and beat Brian Kelly. So Yes, that would be golden. Yeah. To beat Brian Kelly in the national championship game, that would feel pretty freaking good. Somebody we had we were Ryan and I, I think we were talking about this last week. Maybe it was me and Brian Smith. I can't remember who, but uh the the it was more of a I'd rather play BK in the playoff, the semifinal, because then he doesn't even get a playoff win. Right. Because that would be like sort of the ideal scenario. The perfect world scenario is you beat LSU in the semifinal game, so BK doesn't get a playoff win, and then you beat Michigan in the championship game. Ugh. Yeah. Would be the dream scenario. That would so, be great. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, man, be a lot of fun. That would if that great. happened this year, think about it. You'd beat Ohio oh. State, you'd beat USC, you'd beat BK, and you beat Michigan. <laughs> like, 
I, that is the take me, Lord. I, I, yeah, I, I was going to say, Notre Dame just needs to shut it down. Like, we're out. We're done. Any, can't ever match this. It'll never be as good as this right now. <laughs> so, all right. Here's here's some quick over-unders, Vince. I'm going to oh, get good. to from Mr. 2.0. Over-under, 1,200 rushing yards for Audric Estime. Under. Okay. Uh, separately, over under 500 rushing yards for Jadaren Price. Ooh, that's a good one. I see. This is going to come down to is he the is he the number two back? Does he make his way right. to being the number two back? If he does, I say over. If he does not, I say under. And I know that's kind of an uh, on the fence call. Um, I think he's got a great shot of being the number two back. But if he is, I think he goes over. All right, I, I'm going to say he's the number two back, and he's still mm-hmm. under. Uh, okay. Lastly, over under 700 uh, all-purpose yards for Chris Tyree. Uh, all-purpose yards. So that does that include returns or just uh, all all-purposes? Uh, just go offense, receiving and rushing. Okay, okay. Man, if he goes over that, then this is going to be one heck of a, a, a team. So I'm going to say under. I'm going over. Right. I, I think he's going to be over. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, for rushing and receiving, yes, I, I'm going to go over okay. because I think he's going to have a. Like it's going to look a lot like Braden Lindsay in 2019. He's going to have a couple like 50 yard runs on yeah. reverses, like Braden had that year. He's going to catch a little now screen and just have a crease and just go for 60 yards. He's going to have some chunk plays. I think rushing and receiving gets him to that level. Okay, uh, but all purpose yards. I I actually we just gave the the total offense answer. I think all purpose yards would also include. Let me just look at this because this all all purpose running is is a no-brainer. I mean, he all-purpose. Oh. Chris Tyree was over a thousand yards last year. That's right. why. That's why that's, I changed it total offense. Yeah, because, that's over. Because if he's the kick returner again, it's an easy one. I mean, he was Correct. over that last year. Right. Uh, you know, Chris Tyree was a thousand-yard guy last year. Right. Uh, he was at eight twenty-seven the year before that. Uh, I mean, he was at a thousand. Chris Tyree's had two. Th- this is what's funny. He's had two thousand-yard seasons of all-purpose yards in Notre Dame already. <laughs> right? right. I mean, so. Uh, but I, I, the, and the reason I'm saying that is because I think Mr. 2.0 is looking at it more from a, a total offense, which Agreed. is rushing and receiving. Yeah. His all purpose includes rushing, receiving, kick returns, punt returns, everything, all of it. Anytime you got the ball right. in your hands, right? Yeah. So I, I'm assuming Mr. 2.0 meant more just rushing and receiving, is is where it was coming from. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's see. Uh, let's go this last one, Vince. This is going to be a, a fun one. Let's, let's okay, Chris Matz. If Notre Dame is undefeated after the Ohio State game, the Irish will finish blank. Undefeated. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really believe that 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 Ohio State is going to be for Notre Dame if they win. What? I think it, this is going to sound weird. It, it's going to either be for Notre Dame what. Stanford was in 2012, what Miami was in 1988, or it's going to be for Notre Dame what Miami was in 2017. 17. I knew you were going to say that. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. It'll, it'll dictate the rest. I'm not of saying the they're going to lose 41 to eight. I'm just saying like that game right. will kind of demoralize them, and they don't play well the next few weeks, and exactly. that will result in another loss. Exactly. Is what I'm saying. Yep. And that's where. From from the earlier question about the you know the most important part or whatever right because if they get demoralized against Ohio State then they got to go to Duke like that's not in you know then they also have to go to Louisville the next week and then they've got Southern like so right if you lose to Ohio State and you can't pick yourself up after that it, it could You're go lose one of your next three games it could go right. a bad direction is what I'm saying right. you know what I mean 
But if you win that, can you imagine the confidence level that this team is going to have if they beat Ohio State at night at home, you know, to be 5-0 and going into Duke, Louisville, and Southern Cal? Like, that's – yeah. It, it, you, you can't buy that kind of confidence. Like, that doesn't – you know, that, that's going to direct the rest. Of, I think that game by itself – say what you want to about Southern Cal, Clemson, and all, whatever. The Ohio State game is going to direct this season. Yeah. No doubt in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I just it, it, look. We we know they can beat Clemson. We've seen them do it multiple times. Dominating Clemson's right. I mean, we know they can beat USC. They've won seven of the last ten. And even with with the better coaching, Notre Dame was dumb plays away and and a bad defensive game plan away from playing with, if not beating Clemson USC last year. Like US Correct. USC's not this unbeatable force, right? right? Notre Dame didn't even play that well. They had a bunch of dudes out. They didn't have their quarterback. They didn't have. Uh, they're starting one of their corners. They didn't have their nickel corner. They were out a yeah. bunch of dudes in that game. Right. And still, to a degree, went toe-to-toe with USC. I, I've said this before. If if Tyler – if Drew doesn't drop that ball in the first drive of the second half, it's 17-14, and that's a different ball game. Now, maybe USC still wins, but it's like Notre Dame takes a lead with but two minutes different. left, and Caleb – you know, Caleb Williams is, plays Superman and goes down the field and leads them to a, a touchdown. They, may, they still lose, but it's a much different game. And it's, and, done, and it's a much different perception coming out yes, of that game, too. 100%. 100%. Where instead, it's 17-7. to 7, You fumble. They go down and score. It's 24-7, and you're never really truly in that game again after that. Right. I'm not – I mean, I'm worried about USC, meaning USC can beat Notre Dame. What I'm saying is, is that's not a game that I'm like, I don't know if they can win that game. I know they can. I have literally never been alive for a Notre Dame win over Ohio State. They've only played five times in my life, right? I mean, so that's part of it. They haven't played a whole lot. Uh, but I've been alive for Notre Dame beating Alabama a couple times, right? I've, I've been alive to watch Notre Dame beat Clemson. I've never seen Notre Dame beat Georgia because they haven't we only played three times in my lifetime, right? I mean, so, like, it's partly that. But Notre Dame has played Ohio State enough in my right. lifetime to say this is just a team that has had Notre Dame's number. Not only they beat Notre Dame every time, the final scores have never really been all that competitive. Last year's was the most competitive game they played from a final score standpoint. Now, I, I know people that will argue that, I can't remember if it's the 95 or the 96, I think 96 game. Notre Dame was really out playing Ohio State for like half the game, and then Ohio State rolled in the second half. I think it was the 96 game. But still, they won by double digits. The, the 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 Fiesta Bowls were not competitive, right? I mean, they were – the the 05 Fiesta Bowl was competitive-ish. You know, like, you know, I think Zibikowski's fumble return would have tied it, right, or maybe given them the lead, I forget. I mean, but Ohio State was the better team that day, right? I mean, they couldn't cover San Antonio Holmes. Like, they just couldn't. But this is the game, Vince, that you say you slayed a dragon that you have never slayed. Yeah, I mean, exactly. you've never slayed before. Right. And – you know, that, that just the, the confidence boost you get from that game. If you beat USC, it's like, okay, we're back on track against USC. You beat right. Clemson, you're like, yeah, again, right? We, we did that. We, we know we can beat you. Well, Ohio State's that team that you say, okay, this program's better than ours right now. Right. And they've whooped us, you know, and, and now's our, this, now we have made a statement that we are back and we are a team that can play with anybody because yes. we beat them. Yes. And that's a that's a confidence booster that I think you need yeah. to, to be a championship team, in my yep. opinion. Because now yeah, you, you know, do this, yeah. you go into the the game against Georgia, and you're like, we have been more competitive against Georgia than we have been against Ohio State. 
True. Right. So I'm not worried about Georgia. You know what I mean? Like you I mean you should be. You get what I'm saying. Like you're not afraid right. of them. You haven't been a you haven't been competitive against Ohio State for the most part, right? And I think that's kind of where I come down to it. So yeah, sound like a sound like a plan. It does, does sound sound good. I now I'm all like. excited for week five. But we gotta get there first. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Me too. So, Vince, that'll do it for us, man. Why don't you go ahead and take us out of here? All right, man. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, because you never know when we're going to be back. Here's what I do know. We're going to be back tonight at 6 o'clock. Sean Styers, myself, we are going to be talking, and i got my list right here. Whoop, whoop. Top 10 Notre Dame players. That's our topic for tonight. We're going to talk about the top 10 Notre Dame players. In our opinion, we're going to compare notes. We're going to talk about it. And, of course, we're going to have rapid fire. So make sure you log in tonight at 6 o'clock. But, uh, folks, thanks for joining us. Had a blast, as always. We'll be back tonight at 6. Tomorrow at 1 is the Brian the Brian show, right? <laughs> that's, that's what goes on tomorrow. So, hey, we're going to be bringing you the content every single day. So make sure you join us. But uh, thank you very much for joining us today. For Brian, I'm Vince. And we'll talk to you next time on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.